Welcome to Backsliding to Glory, a progressive Christian podcast and community. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to Backsliding to Glory. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Megan. And we are Backsliding to Glory. Uh, Megan, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. I, uh, I'm a little tired. Yeah. But other it, than that, I'm doing pretty well. It, that feels like this state of thing. You know, it, it, this is um, this is not directly connected to our own mission here, but just in general, I do think that it's something that grown-ups especially need to be aware of because we don't. I don't think that we think about the level of mental and emotional fatigue that we all go through on a regular basis. And I don't think mm-hmm. we give ourselves patience for that. You know, like mm-hmm. We- mm-hmm. weekends, weekends are made to be a time for rest and recuperation. And mm-hmm. in the modern economy, most of us don't get to do that necessarily, particularly if we're, uh, you know, young parents like you and I are. And so we've got children's activities to do on the weekend, even if we don't have work responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. But like, Something is always coming at us, Megan. Our our actual day-to-day grinds are very difficult and, and taxing on us for most of us. But then also the amount of national and international stories and ideas and concepts and conflicts that we're required basically by modern society to be aware of and on top of. Like nobody else in human history has had to do that, right? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um Maybe people in power have had to deal to some degree, but they also get to be in power. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I'm the, not sure it's totally. Uh, your average, your average Joe and Jane has never had to had to wrestle right, with these right, like right. with every conflict basically everywhere. Um, right. For instance, uh, the one that you and I have both been thinking a lot about and reading a lot about and and trying to follow over the last week, week and a half. You brought it to my attention actually uh, after the first fire. There have been three church fires in less than two weeks uh, in St. Landry Parish, uh, just mm-hmm. outside of, uh, of Baton Rouge. Uh, the, the national mm, news stories quite. are reporting New Orleans. Uh, it's nowhere near hey, New North, Orleans. Hey, North fact. Louisiana boy, it's not outside of Baton Rouge It's either. not outside of Baton Rouge either. <laughs> there you go. See, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, it's cl- I guess, the closest, uh, in air quotes, big city is Alexandria. It's um, Opelousas is about halfway between... Well, yeah, it's about halfway between Lafayette and Alexandria. Wow. Okay. Well, see, yeah, twenty minutes way off. But this goes to show you part of the problem for the the national news. They don't even realize the geography of Louisiana. Even those of us in Louisiana uh, don't don't get the details right sometimes. It's a big state. I think people don't realize that it's a big state. And that most of the southern states are big. I mean, Mississippi's really big too. Yes, uh, yes, just sheer Alabama's land size. Big. It's it's quite yeah. it's quite uh, large. It's it's rural, and therefore it's not heavily populated. But, but no, you're right. So the the sheer size of these southern states, I think, is sort of um, deceptive. I think we we forget yeah. because there's not that many people in some of them. Right. Uh, right. But, but that's there's and a there's lot a of empty space. A lot of nothing between this and that, and the next thing, you know. And and historically, I think that some of the folks in those areas have used that to their benefit, Megan, to mm-hmm. take advantage of their neighbors and Absolutely. to be able to, um, you know, sort of patrol their own little fiefdoms. We don't know the details on this yet. Investigators are still heavy into it. But what we do know is that three black churches, historically black churches in this parish, have all been burned within 
you know, a 10 day, 12 day span effectively. That is fairly beyond the realms of coincidence. It is possible that there was a weather incident on one of these or something like that. Mm -hmm. But for all three of them, uh, just a few miles apart, all historically black churches. Um, Now, of course, Opelousas and the surrounding area is the site of historic, tremendous racial violence. Yes. And and in the modern era, you're talking about a parish that is about 40 percent African-American. Yeah. And the city of Opelousas is about 70 percent. Yeah, so Black. it's even even yeah. more concentrated. And yet yeah. the leadership, as you could see in all of the reporting, almost all uh, entirely white, uh, which yeah. is, again, very, very common in these these small uh, Louisiana towns. And, and not just Louisiana. It's the same across Texas and Mississippi and Arkansas as well. Um, and if you spend a few minutes looking at, you know, just looking at recent news articles from Opelousas, the, um, the nonprofit I work for uh, has an office in, in Opelousas. I uh, won't say the name because I'm not speaking for them here, but but we do adult literacy work. And the St. Landry Parish has about a 50% literacy rate, mm. which is just criminally low. It is really low. Um, so a news story a few weeks ago in Opelousas is they're closing two public schools. <laughs> it's like, y'all, <laughs> the last thing that place needs is fewer. I mean, if I really thought that like they were going to go ahead and really build up a couple great schools and just close these couple, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think wealthy white people send their kids to the Catholic school and the black kids get stuck with the public schools and they are reprehensibly bad. And, uh, and it's just, it's sort of the, uh, a lot of the sort of nightmare situations you think about just really kind of living up to Southern stereotypes of the wealthy whites and then the black people really getting the short end of the stick. So one of the things that I sort of had on my mind this morning and and you said you were into it as well is talking a little about about this story specifically, but then generally, what can we do as socially minded Christians, wherever we are, geographically speaking, um, what can we do to be plugged into these sorts of occurrences and these sorts of incidences? And then how can we respond to them? How can we aid these congregations from afar? How can we promote the investigation and the bringing of justice to anyone that might have been responsible? And how can we mostly amplify to people who don't want to pay attention and who aren't looking for um, these types of occurrences and ways to help so that they can understand that this isn't in our past, you know, Uh that this isn't Uh something that we've moved beyond. And this is, in fact, something that African-Americans and people of color and minorities across this country of all stripes are facing on a day to day basis, intimidation, uh-huh. uh, domination, suppression and, you know, physical violence. Yeah, it's a you know, we we talked, I think, on the very first episode about this sort of absurdity of of the faux oppression that that a lot of conservative Christians claim to face. The reality is that for folks who attend black churches or who attend mosques or temples, it is scary sometimes to go to the house of worship. And there is always sort of a constant underlying fear that someone might do something to your house of worship when you are either there or not there. Nobody's afraid to go to Joel Osteen's church, I don't think. But I think people have moments of fear and no one should be afraid to go to their house of worship. I do think that a thing that's lacking a bit in sort of contemporary progressive Christianity is we tend to 
ignore the contributions that the black church has made to progressive Christianity over the years, other than sort of obvious examples like Dr. King. We also, you know, church, Dr. King himself said the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning, which is true. Most of our churches are mostly white. Um, Black churches are mostly black. It's more complicated than simply you're not welcome in my church, I think. I considered for a while attending a black church. I went to a few services, always was made to feel tremendously welcome. But then I had a talk with a close friend and he mentioned that black folks in Louisiana don't have a lot of spaces where they don't feel like they're being watched by white people. Mm. And despite the fact that everyone made me feel completely welcome, no one at all made any, it just felt like I was a bit of an interloper. Like, like I don't, I need to give people their space. Well, you don't want to be a tourist. Right. Absolutely. And another friend, my friend, Reverend Solomon, Missouri, who is an excellent Twitter follow. If you're on Twitter, I think it's at Solomon, Missouri. He's an AME Zion preacher in somewhere in the, the triangle in North Carolina. And so a white family came to church, to his church, and he said, welcome. And, and they, you know, welcomed him in and said, so are you, you're exploring our church? And they said, yeah, our pastor gave us the assignment to uh, explore a different faith or something. <laughs> and he was like, we're Methodists. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're not please feel free to come worship with us, but this is not, we are not your like social studies project yeah, here. This is not a different faith, my friend. Come on. So that's a level of complexity and a, and a position I did not want to be in even casually. And also I sort of feel like the work that I need to be doing is among white people. You know, the work that needs to be done in terms of progressing society is working on white people and their racism and our our racism, I should say, our ingrained biases, our unwillingness to confront the systems that perpetuate racism. I don't know that me just being the the woke white lady in the black church is actually moving that anywhere forward. And I, I say woke in with uh, silly hashtags there. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. But very specifically, you the work you and I are called to, I think, and mm-hmm. people like us. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I absolutely feel like the reason why I have the story that I have faith-wise is because it puts me in a position to speak truth to a lot of people who need that truth told. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> and I, I have relationships and long-standing associations with people who are stuck in this mode, who whose eyes are, are covered in uh, scales, and they need somebody to help them pry them off. You're right. The black church does not need me in that way. Right. right. And very specifically, it's a colonial attitude to to go and grace them, right? Like that's what like what what mm-hmm. are you what are you bringing to the table when mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. go and do that? If you are if you have a community of faith where you can sit in a and this is this is something that happened to me this week, Megan. You know, I've been warring personally over what's going on in my own denomination, the the UMC, and mm-hmm. what my place is in it, and mm-hmm. where I'm supposed to sit with my local congregation, and mm-hmm. and that's where I've fallen. That's where I've I've found myself. Is I feel like the Spirit is calling me and leading me in a very specific direction. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't think the spirit is calling me to go alone. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I think it's asking me to stay right here and and beg others to come as well. You uh-huh. know, to to uh-huh. point the way, to lead the way maybe for a group of people that are like me, but but that again doesn't have anything to do with going and and bringing some, you know, presence to um you know, a local African-American church. So how mm-hmm. do we help? How do we connect? That's that's right. another thing. Like our, our church, I, I go to a, a large UMC church here. It's one of the largest churches in town. And one of the things that we consider a lot is how do we aid the ministry of other smaller churches without mm-hmm. adopting without mm-hmm. adopting them effectively without mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. taking mm-hmm. on that paternal role mm-hmm. as in we know better and have more and surely you need our help. Mm-hmm. That is not the position that I want to take. I want one of humility and understanding and uh-huh. service. And so how do we approach that, do you think? What is what is the best way that we begin to plug in in that way? It's super complicated. It's I mean there there are other layers of complication also. I think historically at least and I think in most contemporary black churches the service is a bit different, the liturgy is different, the music's obviously different. So I think like these ideas, you know, combining congregations and whatnot, it may not really be for everyone, but I think there's lots we can do in an ecumenical way. I think there's always power in sharing and anything from, hey, let's let's combine our VBS to, you know, do a combined worship service twice a year or something like that to or just let's have intentional meals and conversation and sit down with our two communities and be like, all right, we're here. What can we do with each other, for each other? I think white church councils don't tend to be great about bringing black churches in. Sometimes I think it's a bit easier with the historic black churches, the AME and the CME and uh, the missionary Baptist churches to sort of bring them into those ecumenical councils. We don't do as well with the smaller sort of startup churches, but there's no reason not to. There's no reason we shouldn't be uh, extending those invitations. There is no reason we shouldn't be very specifically asking them, what can we do for you? Because they they know what they want. <laughs> People know what they want and what they need. And helping means listening for that. Otherwise, you're being a colonialist. Yes, yes, very much so. I want to, we haven't actually mentioned the names of the three churches here. Yes. The three church fires, let's see, uh, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Opelousas, St. Mary Baptist Church in Port Bar, Port Bar, that was the first Port one. Barry. Port Barry, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And Greater Union Baptist Church in Opelousas was the third one. There was actually, there's a fourth fire. They haven't connected this to the, well, they haven't connected the three yet, but um, the, the fourth fire was set in Caddo Parish, which is several hours away. It's about three hours drive north to, around Bossier and, and Shreveport. That fire was apparently intentionally set. They they already know that that small blaze, it didn't burn the whole church down, I think, but that was intentionally set. They already know that that was arson. The three in Opelousas, I don't think, have been conclusively confirmed. However, I want to pat the officials on the back a little bit, Megan, and you, and you have done this as well. It does seem like uh, we talked about the disparity between the population and the race of, of all of the leading officials in this area. Mm-hmm. However, Race notwithstanding, it does seem that everyone that I've seen speak on this, from the sheriff and the fire marshal, et cetera, et cetera, everybody does seem to know the severity of what is happening and seems to be actively involved in trying to end this and, and come to a conclusion on who is responsible and, and why. Yeah, the, no, they seem legitimately concerned and uh, and do seem to be uh, 
at least investigatively doing, taking it seriously. They're certainly taking it seriously more than national media has been. Yes. Though it finally made the times this morning. I've been, you know, tweeting about it pretty aggressively for days and lots of Christian faith leaders have been also, uh, including some seminaries and so on. But, it was kind of crickets from the national news. There was yesterday, I think, uh, the CBS National picked up the local affiliates reporting. That's been what's frustrating for me. And I'm kind of, I've, as you've, if you've been following me on Twitter, I've been kind of screaming about it because what? It is a big deal that black churches are burning. That is a big deal. I don't know if we're like inured to it. Like if we're just like, um, yeah, well, isn't that what happens? It's terrible, but. It's a thing that happens. Or if we're just overwhelmed with other news or if, you know, it was getting toward the end of the week and the national news sources were waiting for Trump to do something crazy and didn't want to, you know, spend column inches and who knows. But I think it's, I think it's sort of a combination of a bunch of things. First and foremost, I, I think there is uh, because I've, I've seen this personally tweeted on a lot of these stories. You, you see people talking about, oh, did did. Jesse Smollett get down to Louisiana now? Oh God! Like I know, I know, right? And the the idea that you would go there, but but the, here's something that I hadn't heard, uh, uh, Megan, and it's in one of these stories. We're gonna have these stories linked, by the way, in the show notes. the The New York Times article mentions um, that last month there was a uh, a member of a predominantly black congregation, Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church in Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, this member, uh, African-American member himself, he pled guilty to burning his church down. Uh, he mm-hmm. had spray painted the words vote Trump uh, on part of the building as well in an effort to make it all seem politically motivated. The, the fact of the matter is that there are occasionally incidents like that. And I think that this large group of quiet, uninterested white people, primarily, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think they mm-hmm. use the few incidents like that that arise mm-hmm. to justify ignoring the overwhelming you know maw of of info that is 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 uh, shoved their way sometimes they hear bad stories and they think well that's probably nonsense like those other things that i mm-hmm. read and mm-hmm. then you wait until you've heard it 5 6 7 times confirmed by different outlets and then suddenly oh well maybe that mm-hmm. one has something to it i think that's the right. reason why this story took two weeks uh, effectively two and a half weeks to bubble up to the national level um mm-hmm. you know i think it was like well let's wait and see it's probably some nonsense mm-hmm. those black people probably just getting up to trouble themselves right right and right that, looking for the insurance money that's what, what i saw that, a lot of in the what local kills me comments. is that same refrain has been used in the south for 200 years to yeah. justify looking the other way. Yeah, 200, 400. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it's 200 since anybody was trying to to give right. them the benefit of a doubt, maybe. I, that's, right. that's what I was right. going for. Right, right. Before that, they didn't have any anyone arguing right. on their behalf, no, perhaps. No checks, no uh, balance. But, but I mean, like, that's the, it is, it's absurd to me that that people would look the other way and and not want to pay attention and not want to lend a hand, not want to see how this might be affecting these local congregations and and how we can try to make a systemic change, how we can try to affect. I I mean, this just, this needs to be a part of our past. It needs desperately to be a part of our past and not something that we are facing on a day-to-day basis. And I don't know, I don't know how to make it urgent and relevant to the average white churchgoer. And to the media, you know, there's a, there's this, 
current fascination with Mayor Pete. Okay. Mm. I like Mayor Pete. Fine. He's a good guy, seems like. But this thing like, oh, he's bringing back the religious left. It's like, first of all, the religious left has always been here. Secondly, do you not know about black people? Like, do you not know? Reverend Barber. Reverend Barber, right? Right. Or Dr. King. Or like, I mean, the black church has been fully active in civil rights work since like they've never not been uh, all they've, time. Yes. Right. Since the black church has existed. So, I mean, you laid it out when we started talking about it's not, I know, I know it's not exactly the same uh, origin story, but it is similar in some ways to the birth of the liberation theology. If you look mm-hmm, at totally. the, the way that Christianity was enforced on these African slaves and transplants, and yet they found the truth and the beauty of the message yeah. of Jesus. Far better than yes. their, which is a good indication that the truth is not <laughs> what it has been turned into. It's not empire, Megan? Are you telling no. me that the kingdom no, I is know. not We're empire? not actually supposed to be on the side of Pilate. I know. It's, I know, shocking. <laughs> so I, I've looked, by the way, I, and you correct me if you've, if you've found something. I have not found a, um, a, a fundraiser that we could point to. Have you found no, anything not yet. yet? Okay. No. I, we no. Will, we I will. suspect they're probably waiting to, uh, the churches themselves are probably waiting to find out about insurance money. Yes. Um, I'm, you're, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're but right. But I'm also hoping that they call for some building days because it'd be nice to, to, you know, if your church, if you're listening from somewhere in central or south Louisiana, you know, maybe your church could could offer to chip in on building days well, show up and particularly if you've got it i think about my church we we've got a um a habitat for humanity crew we we uh-huh. do a yearly function called uh weekend of the cross where we we uh-huh. do building projects all over town you know we've got some crews that are familiar with this sort of thing i i think i would love to to get involved and and try to plug in directly and and be part yeah. of, a, of a work day i think that's Load up absolutely a, church van a good and, idea i mean honestly um, like the, the amish do this right right like the the barn raisings are a community building event in a way that the rest of our american faith community doesn't really do i think yes and the reality is even if these churches end up plenty set for help you know probably there's a black church with a leaky roof somewhere in your neighbor in your city too and yeah their theology might not be exactly what yours is but that's that's okay that's all right. That's I, it, as a matter of fact. That is uh, um, a, a kicker, in my opinion. When you cross a theological divide and still show the love of Jesus and remind yeah. both congregations that you're sitting at the same table and sharing the same communion, I yeah. think that's a, a powerful message. Um, and the theological differences between uh, progressive white Christians and progressive gra- black Christians, uh, in my experience, tend to be closer to those between you know. Presbyterians and United Methodists than, uh, <laughs> you know, Lutherans and Joel Osteen. Right, right. Or, you know or what I mean? Catholics it's, and Pentecostals or something. Yes. Right, it's, right, right, right. It's we're not, not, we're not talking. It's not the great divide. Gulfs. Right. I do recommend just random book recommendation. If you've never read James Cone's writing, um, particularly the cross and the lynching tree, hard, hard recommend on that one. It's not super thick, but it is, it's academic. So it's a bit dense, but we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, extremely important reading, I think, to help better understand the black church, the black church in the South, the sort of beautiful theology that came out of just the worst possible circumstances that people could be put in. Yeah. And this will be in the show notes, by the way. I'm trying to get that link right now. Uh, the cross and the lynching tree. I've not read this. I'm mm-hmm. excited to, to try it myself. Both aspects of 
the historical nature of the church in America need to be wrestled with and reckoned with by the modern Christian, I think, uh, at least in our country. And that is the use of Christianity as an uh, oppression, as a, mm-hmm. uh, a means to and a argument for the enslavement of an entire people. And also the use of Christianity and the understanding of Christianity as a means to those people's liberation, because both mm-hmm. is absolutely part of the American story. Both of those uh-huh. understandings of the gospel are inherently part of our background no matter what your own faith tradition might be. So I, uh-huh. I do think this is important for us to wrestle with. And, you know, it's one of the things I, I think about the way that the German culture had a full reckoning and understanding of their culpability and actions during the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. America has never had that. America's never had that yeah. reckoning as a culture. Yeah. We need a denazification, which is a Wikipedia article that's worth digging into and going down the rabbit hole of. The denazification article is very well done on Wikipedia and leads you to some good links for deeper reading. But just the process, explaining the process by which people had to sort of unbrainwash themselves, which a lot of people did. And it was hard work and they did it and they're in a very different place now, but... Yeah, we've never really done anything even vaguely approaching that. In the American South, it seems, well, and in the American North, it seems that the definition of racism, that the the working definition of racism that people go by is, do I say the N-word? And if they don't say the N-word, then they're not a racist. So you then get into these things like, hey, maybe it's not okay for the president to call people animals because that's literally a thing that, tends to proceed genocide. Yeah. And they say, well, he's not being racist. He's just being, it's like, no, that's literally racism. Also, racism means, you know, the buses in my city don't run to the, to the black side of town. Also, it means there's a black side of town. Yes. (laughs) No, that's what racism means. It doesn't. So yeah, great. I, I definitely encourage you to continue not saying the N word, but also their racism involves systems. And we need to do a better job dismantling those systems and building good new systems that work for everyone's benefit. Everyone benefits. Everyone benefits. That's the- Everyone benefits because, you know, there's some kid right now who's going to a terrible school that somebody's trying to close who could cure the thing that you're going to die from. That's the thing that gets me, Megan, is like, this is a connectional society. We are Mm -hmm. a social animal, and there is no way that we don't affect one another. So when we allow a quarter of our population to struggle generationally, ongoing, continuously, uh, and and we oppress and demean and um, guard off what they're allowed to achieve or, you know, aspire to, it's it's literally like uh, it, it would be a similar thing to you know shutting down the entire female population. Uh, you know we we've got half of our species with their hands tied behind their back. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we doing this to ourselves? It's bananas, and we're not benefiting from it. I mean, it is not making life better. If you look at places uh, that have reckoned with, and you know, Europe's still very racist and has very real problems, but you know, Germany for example, has reckoned with the Nazi situation and is an empirically nicer place to live than most places in the United States at this point. 
Yeah, that's and, a... I mean, it just, like, it, it, I think, oh, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing, though. It's It's hard to... It's hard. If I knew how to fix the people... It's hard. That's I would have fixed them. Well, no, I mean, and that's the that's the lesson of all of this. That's the that's the reminder of all of this, and and it goes back to what we said in the beginning. This is hard. This is hard work, and you don't need to underestimate that self that for yourself. You don't need to downplay it as you're going uh-huh. through it or trying to do it. You don't need to suggest to yourself or think that you have to take this all on or or make the systemic change in your own life or your own community in any short time period, right? This is a generational aspiration and a generational uh, movement that we are trying to affect. And and we are the descendants and the you know followers of generations that have tried this struggle and, and fought this fight before us. So the idea that we're going to get it all done this weekend is, is impossible. Of course. Which means that you have to have patience with yourself and you have to have yeah, I don't know. Grace, a little yeah, grace, a little, a little grace. mercy for yeah, yourself. Yeah, a little grace on yeah. both sides. A little grace on both sides. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't solve this individually. We also cannot be stagnated, though. We also cannot be defeated. Right. Or right. yeah, we can't give up. We we just yeah. can't give up. We have to do the change that we can today. Uh, struggle through. Sleep late if we need to. Megan, you and I both slept late. Yeah, this morning, yeah. Right? yeah. Sometimes you need to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. But then once you well, get you know, up, we are actually commanded to rest yeah he literally gave us a day he literally (laughs) gave us a day exactly and this idea that we have that our value is in what we produce and in what we accomplish i think is a dangerous idea and one that that i think protestants have to reckon with because that's like that's kind of an us thing it is uh, it is it is very much that uh it's 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 the descendant of the puritanical if you don't work you don't eat Right. Mentality, I think. I don't, I don't know. The, the, our only value comes from our production. That's not true. We inherently have value. You, as an image bearer of the living God, have value. Everyone that's listening to us has value. The folks that aren't listening to us, the folks that don't know about us, the folks that are struggling today in their daily lives, they have value too. So mm-hmm. it's about seeing that value uh, honoring that value, respecting that value, working hard to make others see the value in their own lives too. Mm-hmm. But again, being patient with yourself and being being graceful along the way. I think that's probably the best that we can do. We are going to keep following this story. Sorry. Oh, bless you. Thank you. We are going to keep following this story. And if if and when a, uh, a fundraiser of some sort or workday comes uh, available, we're going to be promoting that as much as we can. Uh, and we'd like you to do the same. But the key is just like we talked about earlier to listen to those folks in your community um, more than to suggest <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ask and and reach out what do you need yes what do y'all need yeah even if it's things like uh someone suggested on twitter um a thing if you have nearby houses of worship a lot of houses of worship tend to be you know kind of clustered make a group safety plan some sort of thing by which like okay so say your church is on fire. Uh, who Can we make a phone tree so that we can all call each other and make sure everybody's okay? You know, just little things like that that are sort of administrative things actually can be really powerful tools of, of outreach. Uh, simple things like looking at, okay, hey, can we make our house of worship available to your congregation? 
for mm-hmm. a, a, a fill-in services until your building is back up and running. Right, right. And can we just agree now that we'll do tradesies on that one or whatever? Yeah, yeah. In the future, when, we have, when we're rebuilding right. our sanctuary down the road, we're right. going to come over if and— If our roof starts to leak or your kitchen catch on, catches on fire, can we just make a plan that, you know, here's where we come? And and the number one thing that will come out of that, Megan, is not, um, you know, theological change. Probably your churches aren't going to merge. You don't have to worry about that. Right. But what right. you will do is you'll build relationships. You'll build personal relationships with people in your community that you didn't know or didn't know intimately before. And you can and will now. You can grow that relationship over time. And those relationships are literally what the kingdom is made of. Yes. And it, literally what we are told to do. Like this is, there are no minced words about the idea that we are, we are supposed to, uh, build a global community. And I think we've taken that to mean convert everybody, but it's like, we've got plenty of community work to do right amongst ourselves and non-conversional community building work. I mean, interfaith work is really holy and precious and good. And I promise, I promise being friends with the Jews and the Muslims in your town will not cheapen your Christianity in any way. If anything, it will enrich it tremendously. Absolutely. So. It's going to bring you a, a more fuller understanding of of the God that we all worship. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Megan, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up today. I don't know yes. that we've done a whole lot of good, but we didn't do any bad. I think that's no, the key. No. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that, that's what I want <laughs> you to go out and do this week. I want you to, to try not to do any bad and to try to bring a little grace and goodness gracious. Hang on just a second. Hey, close that door, please. I'm trying to record, you knuckleheads. Here, I'm, I'm going to go bring some grace downstairs to my children. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just try to try to have a little patience and grace for yourself and try to have a little love and compassion for your neighbor. That's what we want you to do this week. And just please say a prayer for these tr- church communities Amen. in and around Opelousas and, and for all the people who fear going to their house of worship. Amen. Amen. All right, let's wrap it up on that. Uh, Until the next time we talk to you, we have been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Megan. And we are backsliding to glory. If you know someone who would enjoy backsliding to glory, please share the show with them today and send us your comments and feedback. Backslidingtoglory at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, backslide to glory. <laughs>